What's changed is a kind of trajectory towards more, certainly more crime. We've had a chemsex serial killer. Four gay men were found dead from GBL overdoses in a particular area. In this episode of Inside HIV, Chemsex 2.0, I talked to David Stewart from London's Chemsex Clinic and local activist Nick Hollis about the role of community in the chemsex debate. Welcome to Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, VAC, working together, and Vive Healthcare, positive action community grants. Follow on Twitter at HIV Podcast and like us on Facebook. And later in the program, we catch up with John, who reveals this shocking revelation. I met up with a guy online, told me he was on prep, won the bed back, told him my status, hooked up. We had sex. When I pulled out, he was bleeding, and then he turns around and told me he wasn't on prep, and starting to get a bit aggressive towards me. That's pretty fucked up. I was. But first, the movie Chemsex shocked the world, highlighting in graphic detail the sexual connection that gay men have to men. In this episode, the star of that movie, David Stewart and local activist Nick Hollis, discuss slamming porn and the role of community in the Chemsex response. David Stewart, welcome to Inside HIV. Thanks, hi. Nick Hollis, welcome back to Inside HIV. Lovely to be back inside HIV. <laughs> I feel like I spent a lot of time inside HIV. Well, for a while there, you were Mr. HIV in this country. <laughs> that is true, that is true. David, your uh, feature in the movie Chemsex, uh, which I think it's fair to say shocked the world, it's been criticised by some, it's been hailed by others. How do you feel now looking back at that movie? What is it, uh, two years later? Since the release, yeah, I think it was 2015. It's uh, How do I feel about it? I don't know. Mixed feelings. I think the yeah. same as everyone else. There's no one reaction. It's upsetting. It's difficult. It's timely. It's annoying that it had to happen. It wasn't a perfect film. It was perfect in other regards. I feel as conflicted as everyone else in the world is about right, it. Right, right. Nick, what are your reflections uh, well, I, I I didn't love the film, uh, which had nothing to do with David at all, of course. Um, my response to the film is that I, I think ultimately I settled on that it, it, it was exploitative. Um, I think there was some incredible bravery in the people who stepped forward to tell their stories. I think there were absolutely some people in that film who were in cycles of use and emotional places that should not have been you know safely been put on film um who were not safe enough to be put on film and there's a a couple of messages in there and 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 the overall portrayal um of the entire uh world of chemsex and and gay sex in general uh that i struggled with um kane race put it really well after we did a a panel on this for mardi gras film festival last year and he kind of just says it begins like a horror movie begins with a full moon and and you know descends down into the into the eerie icky world of of gay sex that just happened to in this time include drugs but you know um, that portrayal of gay sex is nothing new 
Oh, yeah, I, I guess uh, for me the shocking bit wasn't about the gay sex. It was um, about the, uh, well, maybe the integration of meth and sex and how that intersects. Mm-hmm. It was shocking to see on screen uh, in a doco that wasn't, I don't know, you're right, it did start with a full moon. It really did start with a full moon. And, and, and I think the framing around it was, it, it was a shame that it was framed in that way. And it's a Vice documentary and, and anyone who's kind of keenly aware of media and Vice knows that that's the kind of the house style, I suppose. And, and God forbid that's so much better than, you know, if the Daily Mail made documentaries or anything like that. <laughs> but, um, but there were some really valid harm reduction messages in there and there were some extraordinary examples of what gay men do well which is take care of one another um you know in these kind of hypersexual um hyper um charged situations uh that my concern was that would be would have been lost um, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that it's re-aired on our tv screens only very recently and we are currently uh experiencing another kind of reaction locally to a series that the ABC is doing on on meth, which is depicting the police response to, to meth, I think okay. is the best way to describe mm. what the ABC have done, you know, crashing through doors and, and doing raids and that sort of stuff. Which is a pretty different um, side to what we all specifically talk about and what David's spent totally. so much of his energy um, uh, working on and, and helping the community um, become healthier around um, and for a long time in Australia, we, uh, the gay community, that is, were completely out of sight of everything and, and that the conversations around meth in particular were all framed around families, kids, regional communities, policing. And um, it really, it took, it took the Chemsex Doco touring here um, for that conversation to reach a wider media audience. It was the first time I ever did interviews for news.com.au or anything like that around meth. It was really interesting. Which is great. I mean, so the, again, of course, you know, you can't have a sanitised version of this and we need something to spark that conversation. David, tell us what the state of play is locally in London. Um, it's, I'm, I'm mindful it's now three years since that movie was filmed. Yes. So yeah. a lot can happen in three years. It has. It's pretty consistent in regards to the numbers of people coming forward. I think we've got a particularly bad problem in London. It's... Um, our community is really struggling with it. it. It's high on our agenda, the, whole, the community's agenda as well as the healthcare agenda. What's changed is a kind of trajectory towards more, certainly more crime. We've had a chemsex serial killer. Have you read about that one? No. It's really quite dreadful, actually. Five, actually, no, I can't remember how many guys there were. I think it was four gay men were found dead from GBL overdoses in a particular area. And the police never connected them to one person. It was kind of considered, oh, dear, another gay man dies from G. How dreadful. And at some point, somebody connected them all to one person who was poisoning them in a fetish around having sex with either unconscious or, or dead people and then disposing of the bodies that way. So there, uh, there's some concern about, I think the police are being questioned about whether it was p- neglect to not collect, put those things together. Mm. And then, of course, there was a, a policeman went missing and his gay boyfriend reported, his gay boyfriend reported him missing mm. uh, and he was found cooked and killed in a drug-induced psychosis, crystal meth psychosis, mm-hmm. from someone who, um, who actually had spent 11 months of most years sober, but when he lapsed... Really lapsed? He lapsed uh, a couple of times a year and delved into drug-induced psychosis every time. Yeah. And he killed him. And it was, it was called a Breaking Bad murder because he tried to dissolve him in, in a bathtub with acid, similar to some storyline that happened yeah, in Breaking right. Bad. So, I mean, the, that, and uh, we've got more... 
going back 10 years, chemsex did kind of look like gay men having a great time on drugs mm, and mm. getting a bit problematic once in a while. But we are seeing more people with being put on sex offenders registers for Skyping and masturbating with people who might be underage but they didn't know it and mm-hmm. uh, people losing jobs. It's a little more leaning to more towards crime and chaos than it was 10 years ago, which mm-hmm. is a sad change. You also have methadrone in the UK, which, if I'm right, is the drug of choice. Is that right? That's the number yes, one? I guess. And why uh, is that? Is it cheaper or something? Methadrone's a weird drug. You, you, I'm really pleased you don't have it here. It's uh, it's not as stigmatised as crystal meth, right. which is a very good thing, uh, but it can be as dangerous as crystal meth, particularly in regard to the drug-induced psychosis that can follow it if you stay awake for too long on it. It's a very toxic drug. The disinhibition that accompanies it can lead to poor choices, uh, dangerous choices sometimes. So it's weird that it doesn't have the stigma of crystal meth, so it's more normalised and easily adopted by people that I wish would be more cautioned around it before starting for the first time. And that, that makes a very different syndemic than you would have in Australia, which is, which is why we need people like Nick to interpret the film when it goes to different cities to take it apart and make it appropriate for the communities in local areas because it's very different. I think, that's a, I think that's a really, really good point. And, I, and unfortunately, one thing we're not great at here in Australia is reading that difference between epidemics and, and, and not that not, meth is an ep, not an epidemic in this country, um, but, you know, the HIV epidemic, etc. We're very good at looking towards what we consider to be sister cities like New York and London, where we do Sydney and Melbourne, and kind of going, oh, well, that's us too. You know, the, the ACT UP movement in New York, well, that's just like Melbourne. When, of course, actually the scale of the epidemic and and our government's response to it was so different, and it's it's not dissimilar, I think, with what is actually a, a huge problem in London at the moment for the gay community uh, around meth and meth, and we need to be a little bit more do cautious. You not, do you not think uh, it can serve as a warning to us, though? Possibly, every, everything is everything's a potential learning experience, but. I think the concern is when something gets leapt on um, by people who are of our community but who are not users. And this is right. the distinction yep. that yep. I think it's really important to make is that um, your, um, you know, your work-a-day gay man who never touches uh, crystal meth or G, uh, which are the two you know, kind of dominant things, um, especially in Sydney. Um, G doesn't seem to be as popular here in Melbourne. But, you know, might still, you know, party on the weekends, might, you know, drop a pill at a party or certainly drinks, all that sort of stuff, but does not make that, uh, does, uh, makes that distinction between that type of party culture and PNP party culture, lending their voice to what they deem a crisis and in doing so creating a huge stigmatizing divide um, between those who do and those who don't. When we were researching Turning Tina, um, a negative guy came forward and told us this story about how he used crystal probably three times a year. Um, he'd been doing so for the last couple of years and he wasn't observing his usage change at all. Uh, but he had never admitted his crystal usage to his circle of friends because they were those type of gay men who would never touch crystal meth, quote-unquote. And were highly stigmatizing of its use, right. He yeah. said he would be ejected from the friendship group if that happened. Now, that person, right, for right. example, might easily progress from twice a year to every couple of months to every month. And before he knows it, um, he's stuck in a cycle of use that he can't get himself out of, uh, whether that's using every week or every day or whatever. Um, but without the kind of scaffolding and support around him, he would, he would he'd be lost. 
Conversely, there is, I guess, a, a network of people, friendships that form with crystal usage, and that was highlighted in, in the movie. Uh, they're probably fragile relationships, um, not always based on things that are more profound than sex and crystal, but there is that, uh, I guess, a camaraderie that takes place in that space. Yes, uh, I, I agree with you. It's difficult to maintain. It's, um, crystal meth is, I think a lot of us are used to the recreational drugs we've always used traditionally, like ecstasy and cocaine mm. and stuff like that. And it's, this very is a different very different world, drug. It? Yeah. it is. It's really quite difficult. There is a descent in many, many cases into a kind of a, 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 just a place where you become selfish as a cruel, cruel word. I don't really want to use the word selfish but when you're in a cycle of use um and recovering neurochemically from the exhaustion from it it's it's hard to be selfless and think of someone else's needs but of course you know if people can manage the breaks between drugs long enough that that can there is some beautiful intimacy that goes on there is a survival and a togetherness and a brotherhood that has to that the crisis forces upon us sometimes you know, we're, we're together in this crisis. Our lives are falling apart and we are together. The only intimacy I can have is under the influence of this drug and it's with you. You share that with me. And the incredible intimacy of taking risks together, which is another thing that gay men have shared for a few generations. Hmm. I also think that there, there can be and should be, um, and maybe where our focus might be best put to use, um, is enforcing that culture of care that can exist between gay men whilst they do party. And, and that, I mean again, to quote Kane Race, um, has existed for a long time on dance floors, you know, under disco balls. Um, and in fact, Mardi Gras has ca- uh, used it as a campaign, you know, look out for your mates yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Um, but we've not seen anything really like that here in Victoria because we don't have the dance parties like, uh, you know, we used to. Yeah. Uh, but I think that looking out for your mates thing is an important key, particularly around G, which I know, David, in that, in the chemsex movie, the thing that came through was the danger is in the G. Yeah. I mean, yes, there's a spiral down with the crystal, but the life-threatening danger is in the G. There is, I mean, there's harm reduction methods with the messages that have to have to go out, but the one gay man dies from GBL every 12 days in London, and it's really a wow. horrifying stat, I know. And a lot of these guys know how to take this drug as best they can. They know how to dose uh, time-wise appropriately and the, the right dose, what it should be. But it's so dependent on so many things, the food you've eaten and how long you've been awake and other drugs you've mixed it with. Even when you've got it completely right by textbook, it can go so wrong. And that's really hard for healthcare workers to deliver harm reduction messages balanced when it's so hard to get that one right. It's a really dangerous drug. And I imagine it's also about the concentration of that particular batch and a new batch you might have a... Is it that sort of thing as well? Not so much. Uh, We're finding, at least in London, because it's a different availability. So we're buying industrial stuff um, off the internet, delivered to your house, uh, and it's usually the same kind of potency. So that makes it good for us because the one message of the right dose for you is Is the right dose for you. I mean, there were those – were they GBL overdoses that happened last week here in Melbourne? Yes. Yeah, and and my understanding, and I'm happy to be corrected, uh, is that what we have in Melbourne is very different to what is available in Sydney, and that's been the case for quite some time. It's the GBL that we have here locally as opposed to the GBH, which is available in Sydney, which you need uh, less of, but it's 
stronger and hit you quicker. I don't know. Yeah, certainly more expensive, right. as I understand it. Right, right. I mean, that that's, it's a big conversation that's happening in Sydney at the moment. Um, uh, we were at Forum last year, and a brave guy just got up and went, I'm so sick of my friends bottling out, passing out on this sort of stuff, and being the genius. Yeah. And we've kind of taken that term forward and we're trying to get some money up to get a, another resource, the next Turning Tina, which we're calling G-Wiz, <laughs> right. um, to try and empower guys to, to, to all... Because if everyone's the genus, then then everyone's got everyone's back. Unless everyone doses at the same time and they all take a little bit too much, a little bit too quickly on not enough food and they all go out, That's of course, that could happen. But if everyone in the room knows the situation and knows... You know, knows those harm reduction methods. But I've been in an environment where someone has gone awry on that and been bouncing around the walls, screaming at the top of their lungs at five o'clock in the morning in an apartment block. And that ain't pretty no. and very difficult to handle. It is very, very difficult to handle. And there's, oh, there's very few people who could deal with that. But at the same time, you know, the more people who are more skilled mm, about mm. it. And that, that message about knowing your personal limits, I, I think we're seeing that people do try and keep up. Um, like with drinking, it's 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 not dissimilar to to drinking. If you're out shotting tequila with someone, yeah. and they they might be four foot five, yeah, but they right. know how to put tequila away. Yeah, yeah. And here's someone who's six foot five and built like a rugby player, but you know all they need is half a chardonnay on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not as simple as well. I'm a big guy, yeah, or right. I'm a hot fuck, and I know yeah. how to you know throw someone around the room. You know, I've seen I've seen big guys go down. Yeah, it's. Um uh, going to be interesting producing that resource when you've got two different cocktails of chemicals to deal with as well. How do you manage something like that? In terms of the Melbourne Sydney yeah, defence, yeah, you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I mean the the basics of the harm reduction, I guess, tips are not dissimilar. Right. It's about you know, it's about accurately and, and properly um, measuring your doses, obviously, mm-hmm. and the t- distance and time between them, and strategies to record those things and and. A big part of it, I think, is is mindset, and this is tricky because you're in, in a mind-altering space, but laying that really firm bedrock foundation around um, your headspace uh, so that even when, even when, you know, the, the G is glistening there on the, the counter and you think, oh, it might be time for another one, you know, we've, we've really pushed that message um, with a resource and with a campaign. There's no, I mean, there's no, I've never seen a G campaign. No. We've plenty of harm reduction stuff around meth and the dangers of it and the impact on your life. You know, endless campaigns around ecstasy and things like that. We've never seen a visible campaign aimed at queer men in the party scene around G. Uh, there's been some stuff here in Melbourne uh, around certain nightclubs, um, but uh, certainly not something out of one of the orgs. Yeah, David, uh, like in London, HIV positive men here in Australia are more likely to have crystal than um, other negative men. How does that play out in your figures, in your newly diagnosed figures? Similarly, we have to keep an eye on it because it's easier to research HIV positive men than it is HIV negative because they come consistently to Because they're part of a loop. Right, yeah. yeah. But it is similar. When we first started identifying chemsex kind of trans, I'm going back 15, 16 years, it seemed at the time to be a very small group of almost exclusively HIV positive men. Right. And... Older, white, gay, male... Uh, Already diagnosed. Men. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so we were trying to figure that out, but we inferred that it had maybe it had something to do with the experience of 
um, having sex as HIV positive men. That was 15 years ago. And mm. now our, our data at Dean Street is almost 50-50 HIV positive, HIV negative that are engaging equally. But other research that's less focused on our clinic does seem to lean more towards yeah, HIV positive men enjoying it more. Do you, is it, do you think that's because the HIV negative men coming to Dean Street are quite clued in I do. to the sexual culture world and most of them are probably on PrEP or, uh, or dating undetectable men or something I, along those lines? I do. I think Dean Street's lucky in regard to because we have huge volumes of gay men that, that come forward and, and like us and HIV negative men come to our clinic in equal numbers as HIV positive men do. For, for the same reasons. Men. Yeah, yeah. Whereas that's rare amongst clinics. Most clinics are, are good at attracting HIV-positive men who engage better in care. Yeah, we right. have trouble understanding what HIV-negative HIV men sort of like to do with their sex lives and their drug use. Do you manage them any differently? I mean, what, no, no. Uh, we manage every every individual differently, and yeah, everyone's right. experience of stigma and and what and the, the communication skills they have going to bed and the things that concern them in in the bedroom mm. or in a sexual situation are different each time. But um, no, we're gay men. We're going to bed with each other. We're negotiating sex with each other online. Statuses can fluctuate on PEP, off, off PrEP, off. There's all kinds of statuses at the moment, and we're trying to negotiate it in a really confusing world, I think. So we try to, yeah, keep them all together. Since we last spoke, and even since, Nick, uh, your resource Turning Tina was produced, um, the proliferation of slamming porn in um, social media portals, let's call it that, um, peer-to-peer stuff, uh, has, I think, exponentially exploded. Mm -hmm. Its availability is quite readily, well, it's readily available. And is that fueling the fire? Is that making it more difficult to respond to? to Yes, I know that's a really complex question. I I think fantasies are always valid. You know, there is almost, almost anything goes in our fantasies. It's really about our ability to... Where do we draw the line? Where is our filter of what's appropriate to take further and what's not? What can we role play in a safe environment that should not be actually done? Uh, and sometimes on these particular drugs, the disinhibition is so intense and our filter can be quite off and we can p- push those boundaries and want to push those risk-taking fantasies further without that boundary that's helping us to stop it. So whether the porn, I think in theory, porn that, that indulges our fantasies around chemsex, it should, in theory, be okay. But then, on the other hand, we're not all robustly esteemed men out there. Like we're exploring our sex lives, we're experiencing rejections and trying to figure out what our fantasies are. And In fact, you have defined us as quite fragile, scarred men in a lot of ways, in, in some of your language, um, that uh, we're all a part of um, a post-HIV and AIDS. I think I'd like to keep an eye on the fact that We've had a really difficult few decades, and we can we all need to keep an eye on that. Mm. I think so because some of the evidence is right in front of us. It's not like chemsex is happening to ten people in a city. It's quite worldwide, and that we haven't figured out why. It might just be a drug problem. It might not be a drug problem. But I think keeping an eye on the fact that we are vulnerable and it's been a phenomenal few decades. We're dealing with stigmas and technology just took over our lives dramatically and. Trying to communicate our emotional and sexual needs via an emoticon is a difficult thing to do, even if you know what your social, sexual and emotional needs are. It's really difficult. So I wouldn't label us all as completely vulnerable and <laughs> incapable, but let's keep a really strong eye on it because I don't think we're always aware of how vulnerable we yeah, are. Right. Uh, Nick, the idea of peer-to-peer and, and uh, file sharing and live stuff is one thing, but when studios 
commercialise uh, slamming porn, uh, that's taking it to a whole new level. That's a commercial interest. Or is it a response? What are your thoughts? I think it's responsive. I think porn responds to, as David said, the fantasy. It doesn't create it. It doesn't set out to kind of create a market for something. It responds to the market. It's very different when someone's making a buck out of it, though. Uh, possibly. I mean, you know, we're, we three of us are making bucks out of uh, community at the same time. I think well, you might be. I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to assure you of that. <laughs> I think um, porn responds to the fantasy, and um, you know, clever. And yes, you know, and, and it is it's it's uh, it is a business. But clever porn producers see that need and translate that into fantasy on screen. I think that porn uh, never sets out to be instructional, I think it ends up fulfilling that role by proxy because we lack the educational tools and resources um, and you know resilience to, to have that robust conversation um, in more public spaces. So porn ends up becoming that very thing. Um, I do think, though, that, that that kind of those really early days and, and you know, talking here about Slammed and, and Treasure Island, who um, I, I should declare I have done work for, um, although not that director and not that um, uh, series of films, it was a time, but very quickly, very quickly, that the proliferation of um, Slam-based fantasy videos uh, is user-generated. And actually, is that that's where the, the heart of I think the fantasy is for people viewing those uh, is that, that in the social media realms in the peer to peer. Yeah, yeah. I mean that you know, like there's yeah, other there's yeah. other video sharing kind of uh, platforms yeah. where people do it in real time and then it's captured. Uh, what we need to be talking about is is I think the um, understanding for people that 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 sort of stuff is going on the internet and being captured and recorded. And as they say, once it's on the internet. It's always on the internet. Absolutely. Mm. And the impact that that can have on people's lives is not insignificant. Mm. And I say this as someone who is a former bareback pornographer. Yeah, people people hold on to that sort of stuff. Mm. And they like to, to, to show it to you, to tell you that they don't like you. Yeah, right. And the example that you gave is not the first one ever done by a production no. studio either. David, does it serve as a as a trigger, or does it serve as a panacea to to have something in that fantasy realm? We're very mindful of triggers in conversations like this uh, in some environments. A little too uh, hypersensitive, I believe, but uh, that's my personal view. So, what are your thoughts? God, that's a big question. I can I, I can tell you what my patients tell me. Yeah, right. There are some that are trying to have a break from chems but they can't be aroused by anything except that kind of pornography. Yeah, right. There are psychosexual therapists that support them to try to be aroused by not watching porn, to try to remind ourselves what it's like to be touched and what smell feels like, what it's like to have a natural erection when you wake up in the morning, as opposed to sit limp in front of the computer and mm. play with that until it works. That's um, a very different kind of reintroducing yourself to intimacy and arousal. And a lot of people re- really, really need that work. And the role that porn is playing in lives whether it's a panacea or whether it's a trigger it's kind of problematic in any case right. <laughs> for, for, for yeah, my yeah, patients right. it doesn't it doesn't help anyway i think keeping we are trying at dean street we're trying to keep an eye on the fact that our patients all are very vulnerable around their sexual lives around their fantasies around what their understanding intimacies and how to form relationships and connections and we can't untangle that from porn whether it's 
something that was formed after they'd experienced chemsex or before they'd experienced chemsex or if they never have at all. It's, it's sexy stuff. Whether they come across it by accident or not, they perceive it that way and we've got to untangle that for them. Put it into context in the role what can sex and intimacy and horniness and fantasies play in your real world when your life is full of understanding the role sex, love, intimacy, connection will play in a full life of many other things as well as sex. Nick, those uh, social media sites, I keep calling them that because I prefer not to name them, Mm. um, they create a sense of community. They are in their own way an online community. What role does community have in the current state of play with where we're at today with chemsex? I think that we won't get anywhere helpful or healthy without community. Dealing with a problematic usage of chemsex is not unlike dealing with a new HIV diagnosis in that if you try and do it on your own, it is possible, absolutely, because as an individual, you will go to your doctor or your health professional or whatever, and eventually... Uh, after enough time, you just might get there. But, but it's if, the hard way. <laughs> if it is the hard way. We, we find, and I, and I see this, you know, there are, still, there are people in my life who come to me one-on-one because of my role as an mm. HIV activist and a, and a um, visible POS person. And every few months I get a message saying, oh, I'm having a rough time, blah, 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 blah. And we talk and we talk and we talk it through. And huh? I say, hi, there's this community. I'm a part of it, 1,500 people. Etc. 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 And they just can't do it. They can't take that leap into the community to put their hand up and to be seen having trouble. But there are the Dean Becks and the Nick Hollises who do that. Where are they in the chemsex realm? Oh, it's so much harder because the level of stigma and putting your hand up to say, "Hi, I am a hmm. functioning, ongoing recreational crystal meth user," is so much more. I'm here to help. Yeah, of yeah, course. It's yeah. it's so it's it's so loaded. It's so much yeah, more yeah. loaded and. You know, flung with shame than putting your hand up to say that I'm pause. Of course, absolutely. That in itself is the trickier part, I think, because then we have individuals who put their hand up to speak to it once they have gone through the belly of what is usually quite a nasty addiction, and often they go through the CMA kind of model um, and Which identify is, as crystal meth anonymous yeah, yeah. and the go through program. the twelve step program, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then part of their identity becomes being an addict. Um, and a former addict or a lifelong addict or uh, however you end up identifying yourself. And that works for some people. And, of course, it's, it's really, really valid. But it also creates a big, big kind of tin shed of shame that echoes around you for the rest of your life. David, you've been criticised for having a bit of that approach by some. Is that your approach? Which approach, sorry? The 12-step program all or nothing type approach. Well, uh, or nothing, <laughs> abstinence approach. I didn't know that. Um, we yeah, don't. You have. Have I? <laughs> Our approach is very much it's a sex issue, not an addictions issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you choose the approach that's right for you. Our, our job is to present a whole lot of options. Where's the healing path that you are looking for? What are you looking to heal? What's the right way for you? Um, it's and every drugs worker around the world knows that the first thing you do is help the person identify a goal and a route that they're going to mm-hmm. use. The solution for me is understanding the ro- your own sexuality, your own vulnerability, your role within your community, how you communicate on Grindr, what technology means to you, what you want from your sex and romantic life, how, what it's like to be lonely and horny on a Saturday night with an app on your phone. If you can talk to your community about those things, you'll find some kind of solution. I don't want to diss any 
12-step groups, but we don't resource them a lot, no. I, I'm worried about a large group of people becoming sexless, unable to have sex again, and identifying as addicts by going down that route. Um, not always learning how to integrate back into their community and having sex and intimacy and relationships confidently, knowing what that means. I'm mindful of the fact that people with a compromised immune system indulging in drugs to this extent have to have health outcomes that can't be great. What do you see come through the clinic in that regard? Uh, that That's what worries me most of all. Uh, and you, you know I'm here in Melbourne because I'm doing a lot of work, even though it's my holiday, because I, we've got to figure this out and we can't rest. It's I don't like the idea of people giving up chems because that's what they choose to do, but finding themselves unable to have sex or form intimacies and relationships because they've been steered towards addiction therapy groups, which are great for addiction, but this is a different kind of use problem. I was actually in an auditorium full of people watching the chem sex film and we were on a panel afterwards and there was an addiction specialist next to me, a psychologist. She was great. And next to her, there was a, a guy, a really sexy, great guy that had been through uh, the addictions program. He had been a crystal meth injector. He now stopped. He identified as an addict. And they were saying to the whole auditorium of 700 gay men, we've got this covered. Our meth addiction clinic is LGBT aware. We've got it covered. And I was I was furious. I said, have I, you've flown me all the way from London to LA to say you've got this covered. I said, there is probably out of this 700, probably 70 gay men here who are using chems recreationally, whether it's a problem for them or not, but certainly not identifying as an addict, probably not injecting. And they're going to catch gonorrhea six or seven times this year maybe they don't want to a lot of them are going to become HIV positive and they're sitting in front of sexual health clinicians people who, who diagnose them as gonorrhea who dispense the pep who are not having conversations with them about this whereas there's this extraordinary opportunity to talk to lovely gay men about their sex lives um, making them enjoy it more with less unwanted consequences but we're not we're just waiting for them to crash become HIV positive and send them to an addictions clinic that's not a solution so this is what I'm very passionately here in Melbourne about now is to, to talk to the healthcare clinicians on that front line mm-hmm. about how to have those conversations about gay sex with gay men using chems. I think it would be so fantastic if if where we are right now in Melbourne and, and Sydney and all around Australia, I mean, this, this problem, of course, is not just Sydney, Melbourne-based, um, it would be to steer ourselves towards those sort of approaches and not go down. I mean, this is, gonna, this is almost racist to say, but that very American narrative of addiction and it doesn't surprise me at all that that, that was LA. in la yeah i mean god it's just <laughs> it's extraordinary it is extraordinary and it's quite frustrating and i found it's been it's been a source of tension um in my kind of global network of of pos activists some some american hiv activists that i love and respect a great deal don't agree with turning tina even because it's too it's too kind in a right. way it's, it, it's not too supportive enough. yeah because right. because it, it doesn't it, we consciously did not include CMA in our um, uh, go-to list there at the end of Australian resources, and that was intentional. So, I mean, clearly we we kind of put our flag in the sand on that one a bit. And at the end of the day, correct me if I'm wrong, the majority of users, whether they're positive or negative, are what Nick terms before functional users, whatever that might be. The percentage that are really having issues is a small percent compared to the amount of people using. Would you agree? 
Yes, uh, it depends how what you define as issues. Yeah, right. We have people sitting in front of us who say, "Hi, I was at a sauna. I've got gonorrhea. I think can I have some medicine, please?" I had sex with loads of people. My God, I had such a good time. I was even I was unconscious for a while, so I can't tell you how I got the disease. Some people were fucking me anyway. Uh, I'm a mess. Give me my medicine. And so a, a nurse or a therapist is thinking, "Oh my gosh, I hope you have good boundaries. I hope you have an idea of what you wanted your sex life to be. I hope you have you can talk about consent and even understand what that is in that kind of situation." And we can have four. 40 to 70 people come in one day repeating those presentations exactly the same way. And we have conversations with Dean Street about not becoming complicit in this, that this is just because someone says, oh, don't judge my gay life. Uh, this ha- I was in the sauna last week. I'll be here again next week too. Don't judge me, please. Just give me my medicine. Yeah. We're like, hold on. We do have an obligation as healthcare workers. We're allowed to say we care and we want more for you even if you don't. How can we have a conversation with you so that we can all make sure that you are getting the best sex that you deserve and you want and how do we have those conversations and I know that a lot of the clinicians doing this work are frightened to talk to gay men about that because oh we can't judge them for their sex lives they're telling us not to we can't be complicit in that kind of poor sense of sexual well-being I think the the, the thing that hit me then was why are you telling me what's right for me in my sex life like why are you defining for me the sex that I should be having we shouldn't but if you were potentially assaulted and that's normal for you, then I want to have a conversation with you about it. Yeah, I do. Right. I care about you. And I'm sorry if that's overstepping the mark. I will, to my grave, care about you and want the best for you. And I will not be frightened to act upon that. I think it's a really tricky conversation because the line is so fine. And look, I, I have argued till I'm blue in the face about individual men's right to slam and have a great time and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and for people to, to stay the hell out of people having a good time. But then that same line has just been chopped. And I've seen friends, I've seen people I'm very close to, you know, tumble down into helplessness, literally needing to be kind of brought up again and it's so it's such it's such a fine fine line and i think that from a, at a community level the only way we can prevent that happening less not stop it altogether because that's not possible but prevent it happening less is is bring people into that conversation earlier mm. and that's a really tricky thing to convince people to do to open up and kind of you know talk about your chem usage around sunday brunch how can we find out about TouchBase? Uh, no, not TouchBase. How can we find out about your Turning Teen resource? Well, firstly, you should find out about TouchBase. It's really fantastic. It's Vax uh, resource. Um, it is good. Uh, it's, a nation, it's a nationwide resource for all sorts of drugs. And I think that's an, another important conversation to and have. And the way they play. In, absolutely. Intersect, yeah. And, and I would just like to remind everyone listening out there that um, uh, the vast majority of incidents of harm um, in, in relation to you know, guards being let down and people, say, making choices that lead to them um, becoming HIV positive, etc. The number one substance involved in that is alcohol and remains so. So please keep that in mind. You also might want to head on down to the Institute of Many website, instituteofmany.org, and have a look at Turning Tina, which is the only uh, community-driven harm reduction resource aimed at uh, POS men who choose to use crystal methamphetamine. And give us your top three tips, David Stewart. In regard to chemsex? Yeah. Be kind to each other. Don't be ashamed to talk about it and explore what you want from your sex and romantic life and make it happen. David Stewart from 5016 Street, thank you very much for joining us on Inside HIV. And Nick Hollis from the Institute of Many and many other things, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank Thanks. you. 
It's clear the CAMSAC situation is not going away and that we all have a role to play in caring for our community, its people and the ones we love. Links to resources are available on the blog post of this episode and you'll find them at InsideHIV.net. It's time now for us to check in with our mate John, who received his positive diagnosis not so long ago. So last night I get a call, and missed call, and it was from John. And I thought, I'm going to have to ring him back because I'm sure he's not calling just to see what time to make this recording. So I phoned him back and I sent a text actually saying, what's the go? And then I got a text back saying, I think I fucked up. So I did phone him and he joins us now. Hey. What's going on? Um, yeah, completely. To me, I thought I stuffed up. Um, what does that mean? I met up with a guy online, um, told me he was on prep, won the bed back, told him my status, hooked up. We had sex. Um, after blowing him, when I pulled out, he was bleeding, and then he turns around and told me he wasn't on prep. And starting to get a bit aggressive towards me. That's pretty fucked up. It was. Uh, did you ask him why he said he was on prep? I mean, that's really fucked up. No, he didn't tell me the reason why at all. He just kept on boycotting the question. Right. Uh, making you wrong in that space, or? I say so, but it was it, it upset me. Hell yeah. Um, and I was getting a bit angry that he lied to me. Then I felt guilty that I could have infected him as well. You're on medication, but uh, you're only at the start of it, really. So yep. you've got no idea today where your levels are, yep. um, whether you've got an undetectable viral load. So I can understand the concern. Um, so we had a conversation last night. Yep. Um where I said to you, this uh, is not your problem. I understand it's your issue, but it's not your problem in the sense that, firstly, uh, he was lying to you, which is weird. Secondly, uh, he agreed to engage in unprotected, uh, well, uncovered sex, uh, because you're of the presumption he was protected by PrEP, that's not your issue, but I, I mean, that doesn't make you feel any better, does it? No. <laughs> Tell me what happened after we spoke last night. Um, probably half an hour to an hour later, this it all started getting to me, and I finally had a, my breakdown. That all got to me. The last five, six weeks finally caught up to me. And I was a mess. I was at a mate's house watching movies, and yeah. This complete mess has hit me and didn't know what I wanted to do at all. Um, because the veranda was looking tempting. But I thought family comes first, my friends come first. Wouldn't want to upset them or them to go through. Don't you dare fuck up this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real reality check, isn't it? Yeah. It just hit me all in one go. I was waiting for it to come, and it finally came. Okay. So you 
acknowledge that. Where are you at today? Um, still a bit down, but a lot better than what I was at 5 o'clock this morning when we end up finally going to bed. But yeah, a bit of weight's lifted on my shoulder, venting, and just talking with my mate and getting out there. And just saying, talking about stuff that I've never talked to anyone else about before. Because when I had the breakdown, I brought up everything with my father, with his death, and the breakup of the marriage, and my relationship of 14 years as well. So it all came out in one go. It uh, never rains, it pours, as they say. These yeah. things uh, come together in a kind of heap that... Uh, you know, once we've tried to avoid, 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 and then bang! Um, yeah. Deal with it, time. Yeah. Uh, what did you say? Or how, uh, have you spoken to this person you were with the other night? Yeah, I have. I told him the, the one I said with, I told him to go on PEP and mm-hmm. go to the clinic. And he just brushed the idea off as well. Which, um, again, is another ball in your court, so to speak, um, another feather in your cap. Why uh, is this person being such a fuckwit? I have no, no idea. Is he a bug chaser? One of these ones of delivery wants to get paws? Who knows? Well, the academics will tell you that that is a fantasy um, in people's minds that they might uh, articulate that when they're in an online space, but they don't see it through. You've come across a bit of it, though. Yeah. And again, online yesterday, another one. I want to be the posim and make him his pos boy. And when I told him, no, I'm on medication. And also told him, I don't want him to go through what I'm going through with it all. And he still wanted, still wants to be pos. It's like he doesn't care. Like I said, the uh, academics and orgs will tell us that this is um, a very, very small minority of people that uh, operate in a fantasy realm, not um, enact on it. Yeah. What do you think was going on with the guy that you did meet up with? No idea. <clears throat> um, it was hard to tell. He could have been wired as well because I found that lot online being now in the city that most of the guys online are wired. Well, that's a big statement. but yeah. <laughs> Well, they, they turn around and say they're wired. Yeah, right. Well, um, if they tell you, then that's you can only go on what they say, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what his deal is. Um, he's blocked me now, so I can't have any contact with him. You've done all you can do. Yeah. Back to you. What are you going to put in place to uh, help you get through this shitty time? I've got my counsellor's appointment this week. And going to change my career goals. I'm getting away from my construction industry, finally, and I'm going to go back to uni to finish off my masters, or go into a di- different area. direction. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good to have uh, goals and things to work towards. In the immediate, you know, next 24 hours, what are you going to do to look after yourself? Going to hang around my mates that have been supporting me through this. Just in case anything happens or I feel like a relapse is going to happen. And just talk, get off my chest and see what happens. As long as I'm around my friends, that's all that matters. Are you okay? I'm sort of okay. Yeah, I've had enough crying last night and this morning. 
but yeah, even just talking about it every now and then, like last night, I just broke down in tears again. Even trying to talk to mum, I couldn't even complete the phone call. I could tell something was very, very wrong when you walked in today. Mm. Go gently is my advice. Yeah. Go gently. Be good to yourself. Perhaps be a little more discerning in your choice of fuck buddies in future. But, you know, <laughs> we've all had those mistakes made. Yes, I just thought he would have uh, <laughs> been a bit wiser, been a lot older than me as well. I think there are fuckwits everywhere. Mm. <laughs> At all ages. <laughs> I'm finding that out down here. All right. Well, thank you again for sharing. Um, nice. We're uh, here for you if you need. Thanks. You know that. And um, we'll catch you again next week. For sure. Well, as John's story highlights, disclosure doesn't protect you from fuckwits, especially in the online dating world. It's a reminder to us all to proceed with caution. I'm Dean Beck. Stay positive. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Visit InsideHIV.net or download from iTunes. Made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, the AC Working Together and Vive Healthcare Positive Action Community Grants. Follow us on Twitter at HIV Podcast and like us on Facebook. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people.